Hi, everybody. Jimmy DeYoung here at Broadcast Central, but it's in a temporary studio in Columbia, South Carolina. We're here in Columbia. We'll be at the Capital City Baptist Church, a one-day prophecy conference, three services, 11 a.m. in the morning, 5 o'clock in the afternoon, prophecy Q&A. This is a great time to ask your questions about Bible prophecy. And then 6 o'clock, we'll be focusing on the situation in Israel, the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. So you do not want to miss the opportunity. If you're in the Columbia, South Carolina area listening to us, come join us at the Capital City Baptist Church. Well, we're going to have our broadcast partners telling us from around the world what they believe the world events are unfolding as it relates to the potential ceasefire. They've talked about it. So far, it's still holding at this point in time. That could change at any moment, you realize. And therefore, we're going to have these conversations with our broadcast partners to get insight. We're going to begin as we go to Ken Timmerman. We always open up with Ken. He covers geopolitical activities around the world. And Ken, we've watched everything happening there in Israel for the last 11 or 12 days. Looks like a ceasefire may be in place. But the Iranians are speaking out, especially the chief of the IRGC, the Islamic Revolutionary Guard Corps, talking about they vow to support Hamas against Israel. They've been doing that, and they've been excited about all the rocket attacks on Israel, basically because it seems like Iran has been the one supplying those rockets to Hamas there in the Gaza Strip. That pretty much on target? Jimmy, the Iranians have taken the mask off and are now openly telling us about their support for Hamas. They're telling us that Hamas is doing their bidding in Gaza. They call this battle here that Hamas, these missile strikes from Hamas to Israel, as Iran's fight with Israel. They've opened up a new era, a new front in the conflict with a Zionist enemy. Those are the words of the commander of the Quds Force in Iran. And I find it, you know, just tremendously ironic to see once again the Iranians are ready to fight to the blood of the last Palestinian. And Iran, however, is making the statement that uh, whenever they want to go and strangle America, all they have to do is tighten up their grip around the neck of Israel, the Zionist regime. Boy, it, it helps us to focus on really Iran's desire to wipe out the Jewish state, doesn't it? Well, it does, and it also should focus us uh, on Iran's desire to destroy America. So they, are, they see Israel and the United States as one entity. This is something that is perhaps hard for Americans to understand. I wrote a whole book about this after 9-11. It's called Preachers of Hate, Islam, and the War on America. And it essentially looks at Muslim anti-Semitism, which, by the way, is out with its ugly, dirty face all over U.S. streets this past week with Muslim attacks on Jews. And you, you hear these people on the left who are talking about hate crimes. Well, these are real hate, hate crimes being carried out by Muslims against Jews on U.S. streets, and they're saying nothing. But my book, Preachers of Hate, talked about the ideology of Islam, which identified America with the Jews 
that the Koran teaches Muslims they should hate and destroy. So we are the Jews of the modern world to uh, Islamic Iran and to Muslim jihadis, and we should never forget it. And that is yet another reason, I believe, that should cement our dedication to supporting the Jewish state. Ken, how can you get a copy of that book, Amazon.com? Uh, the easiest, go to my website, KenTimmerman.com. You're going to see a link to my books, and, and you'll find it there. It's, it's uh, Preachers of Hate, Islam, and the War in America. And it, uh, uh, one of the really interesting things about that book, and the fun thing about that book, it includes interviews, many interviews that I've done with Muslim clerics around the world, in Egypt, in Gaza, in Damascus, Syria, in Amman, uh, where they openly talk about their hatred for Jews and America and how Americans are Jews to them. We represent the, the, uh, really the core of uh, Judaism to these Muslim preachers of hate. Ken, on our conversations on a weekly basis, we've often talked about the religious element of the Iranians, their eschatology, the idea of the end times. And now there's an Iranian general who's saying we have a religious duty to attack and go against Israel. And in fact, he continued by saying, and annihilate Israel. Boy, that is a statement that really tells us about Iran, isn't it? Well, that's right, Jimmy. And uh, th- there were a number of speeches on May 6th, which the Iranian regime commemorates as Jerusalem Day, where they kind of vie with each other to be the most radical, say the most outrageous things. But given that this year, this was just before they launched a new war against Israel through their uh, proxy Hamas. I think it has tremendous significance. And this particular general, his name is Mohammed Hossein Seper. Um, he commands their central training base. So he's the one who trains terrorists to go out around the world. When Hamas people, uh, fighters come to Iran for training, they go see Hossein Seper and his bases. And, uh, you know, he said, uh, we have this duty to form an Islamic resistance front from Tehran to Baghdad to Beirut to Syria to Yemen to the Horn of Africa and, of course, to Gaza as well. So they see this battle as an immense, uh, uh, really cataclysmic confrontation with Israel on all fronts, from Baghdad to Yemen to Gaza to Lebanon and Syria. I've often said your eschatology will dictate how you're going to live out your life as an individual, as a group, and as we see now, as a nation. And, of course, the Islamic world does have an eschatology. It's similar to our eschatology, but not exactly what God's Word has to say about the end times. I'll talk more about that when I take a look at the book. Not the only ones showing that we must hate Israel. That's the season, it seems, for Turkey. And Turkey's anti-Israel obsession up to a new height at this particular time. Give us the latest on that. Well, every time you think that Erdogan in Turkey can't get more outrageous than he was this week, well, next week, guess what? He gets more outrageous. And, and now you've got crowds in Turkey egged on by Erdogan and his government uh, saying Turkish soldiers to Gaza. You have people in Turkey close to Erdogan posting uh, photoshopped images of the Turkish army marching to Jerusalem. Uh, this is very significant because 
uh, Erdogan, uh, who has always you know, shown his support for the Palestinians and has an on-again, off-again relationship with Israel, when he needs Israel for economic purposes, he makes, he makes, makes up to them. And he did that a couple of months ago. And now he's back in bed with the Palestinians saying not just uh, do I support the Palestinians, but I think that Jerusalem should be broken off from Israel and run uh, separately by the Palestinians, perhaps under some kind of international mandate. But the hate coming out of Erdogan's mouth is, uh, again, extraordinary. Uh, he is extolling Hamas for sending rockets against the Zionists, killing children in Israel. He thinks this is a very good thing. I think Erdogan is showing once again this week just how despicable he is. And again, a f- page from the eschatology of God's holy word, the Bible. Talk to me about China just a moment. We're mentioning other nations. The China media is saying that the United States supports Israel because of the wealthy Jews that live here in America. Well, that's anti-Semitic, but it sounds like China, as they are focusing more on the attack against Israel and their support for the ones who will attack Israel there in the Middle East. Well, this is a somewhat new development, Jimmy, where the Chinese are actually tearing the page out of the protocols of the elders of Zion, talking about Jews running the world, uh, and, and, you know, it's eight wealthy Jewish men who control the world economy. I mean, this is the kind of thing that we saw in the protocols, again, that I quote in Preachers of Hate, but I never quoted it from Chinese government officials. I was quoting Muslim clerics in Gaza or Oman or Damascus or Tehran. So this is a new development to see um, uh, Chinese leaders using that language of rank, historic uh, Muslim anti-Semitism in relationship to Israel, and they're doing this at the United Nations. And what I also find very ironic and unfortunate about this, this comes at a time when President Biden has said, we're back, America is back, we're coming back to the U.N., we're going to come back to our leadership of the world that President Trump had so tarnished during his four years. Well, guess what? We're coming back to America last. When the Chinese make statements like this at the United Nations, of you know, rank and historic anti-Semitism, the United States says nothing. We let them get away with it, we don't protest it, and we don't shame them. So if we are back, we are back to some pretty bad old habits. Ken, give us the name of that book that you wrote and how they can get it one more time. I think that would be a great read for some of our friends who listen to the broadcast. Sure, it's Preachers of Hate, Islam, and the War on America. You go to my website, kentimmerman.com. You're going to see a link to my books, and, and you'll find it there. It's, it's uh, Preachers of Hate, Islam, and the War on America. And uh, it's really one of my favorite books because it, uh, it, it was the first uh, book after 9-11 that really examined Muslim anti-Semitism, and it goes into it in great detail in their own words. It includes interviews, many interviews that I've done with Muslim clerics around the world in Egypt and Gaza in Damascus, Syria, in Amman, where they openly talk about their hatred for Jews and America and how Americans are Jews to them. We represent, really, the core of Judaism to these Muslim preachers of hate. It indeed will be a great read. I've had the opportunity to read it, so make sure you go to kentemmerman.com. There you can find the book. Ken, thank you so very much. Great insight today. Appreciate it. We'll have another conversation next week.
Thanks so much, Jimmy. God bless. We're going to have to take a quick break. When we come back, David Dolan standing by. He'll talk about the ceasefire that at this point in time is at least in place. That's all ahead right here on Prophecy Today. Just how close are we to the rapture of the church? Do events taking place in the Middle East and around the world have prophetic significance? In his latest book, Sound the Trumpets, Jimmy DeYoung examines these questions and explains just how near the rapture of the church could possibly be. By comparing four trends from prophetic scripture to current events taking place in the world today, Jimmy shows that the stage is set, every actor is in place, and the curtain is about to go up on the end-time scenario set forth in the scriptures. Sound the Trumpets is a must-read for every serious student of Bible prophecy. To order your copy of Jimmy DeYoung's new book, Sound the Trumpets, for only $15, call us today at 8-PROPHECY-8. That's 877-674-3298. Or visit us on the World Wide Web at prophecytoday.com. Call today and make sure to get your copy of Sound the Trumpets. I want to remind you that I do have a website. It's prophecytoday.com. This is a full-service website. It will assist you in your study of Bible prophecy. For example, I have a prophecy bookstore with a number of materials that will help you as you study through the prophetic passages of God's Word. I have a number of books, DVD documentaries, and five-hour audio series on the subject of Bible prophecy. I have a prophecy Q&A section, and then I list the top 10 news stories on a daily basis. These are news stories that seemingly are setting the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. And I will give you a prophetic perspective on those news stories. That website that you should bookmark is prophecytoday.com. Welcome back to Prophecy Today. As promised, David Dolan will be here with his Middle East News update in just a moment. We're here in temporary studios in Columbia, South Carolina. I'll be at the Capital City Baptist Church for a one-day prophecy conference all day Sunday, 11 a.m., 5 o'clock, and 6 o'clock in the evening. Hope you can join us. If you're in the listening area, please come study Bible prophecy. What a key time. With everything going on in the Middle East, it is important that we understand from a prophetic perspective why all of this is indeed happening. Well, David Dolan will help us understand that. That's why we bring him to the broadcast table here on Prophecy Today weekend. David, the ceasefire went into effect sometime on the morning hours of Friday. Can you give us an update on the ceasefire? Why did it come about, and do you think it will last? Well, Jimmy, as of right now, it looks like it is holding in terms of rocket fire and that. It, uh, as you say, came into effect at uh, 2 a.m. on Friday, and uh, that was after over 4,000 Palestinian rockets had been fired 3,400 of those entered into Israel. The others landed in Gaza, by the way, some of those severing their own electricity supplies and killing some of their own people. The Israelis believe they had won a victory in what they were calling Operation Guardian of the Walls, 
What walls are they talking about? Well, this started in Jerusalem, of course, where, Jimmy, on Friday there was rioting again, so I'll talk about that in a second. The Palestinians call it the Sword of Al-Quds, which is the Sword of Jerusalem. Eleven days of fighting, over 200 people killed, uh, 12 of those in Israel, the rest Palestinians. Jimmy, the initial assessments in Israel were that the victory that Israel claimed was quite good, that they did a substantial amount of damage to Hamas, and the Hamas people were saying, of course, the opposite, that they did great damage to Israel and shocked them, and uh, they were actually celebrating on Friday in all sorts of Palestinian towns and cities, both in Israel and in Gaza and the West Bank, uh, their victory. But also on Friday, the Haaretz newspaper published an interview with senior Israeli army commanders who said that their second assessment was that they didn't do as much damage as they had hoped they would. They did get, oh, dozens of miles of underground tunnels destroyed, but the rockets themselves are mostly intact, they believe. They maybe took out 10% of Hamas's rocket potential. That's good, but that means, of course, they still have 90% left. And uh, the conclusions that most are making is that this is a temporary hold on the full-scale fighting, but that the ground Palestinian uprising, if, if you will, or the violence that occurred in many places on Friday, not only in Jerusalem, and again on the Temple Mount, there were clashes. Uh, the Israeli police were... Uh, called up, and uh, rubber bullets were used, and there were uh, dozens of Palestinians injured. These are young men, mostly, who weren't even alive during the last uprising, and they actually chanted against the the Grand Mufti, the chief Muslim leader, as he was starting his speech on the Temple Mount on Friday, saying, we reject you, we are the sons of Mohammed Deif, who is the military commander of Hamas. So Hamas has an army all over the place, Jimmy, and the ground violence will probably continue, and it's just a matter of time, most are saying, before we have the next round of major exchanges. David, you've been in the Middle East covering all the news coming out of that key region of the world for over 30 years. What's your evaluation? How long do you think this ceasefire may last, or will it last for a good period of time? I think it all depends on Iran and Hezbollah and the other forces that back Hamas. Do they want a full war? Uh, Many think yes. We had an Iranian-armed drone aiming towards the north of Israel that was shot down just east of Beit Shan by Israeli forces earlier this week. Uh, Had that gotten into Israeli airspace and, let's say, bombed an Israeli community there and killed a lot of people, and, of course, you don't have the Iron Dome then to stop it, just ground forces and low-flying forces, we would maybe be in a fuller war now. So that is the key But no, Jimmy, I don't see this at all. The the Palestinians are riled up. It's the same atmosphere as just before the 1989 first Palestinian uprising and the September 2000 second uprising. Again, most of the young men doing this uh, ground fighting now weren't even alive or were very young for the second one. And uh, they're determined to go, it looks like. They want to see this fight continue. And again, it's if Hamas feels it has enough outside backing 
then they will probably resume rocket fire at some point as well. Prime Minister Netanyahu said the response to any additional rocket fire will be much stronger. They won't let the occasional rocket slip through and not respond like they had before. So we'll see about that. But the atmosphere I'm hearing from sources all over Israel as well is still very, very hot. And most are not expecting this to last. And in fact, polls show a majority of Israelis wanted it to continue, think it was cut short too soon because of U.S. pressure from the Biden administration and that uh, more damage should have been caused to Palestinian infrastructure in Hamas than actually was and that they can repair that fairly soon. And uh, again, if their outside forces back them, be back on the war path fully. It's interesting to me to hear Prime Minister Netanyahu and Defense Minister Benny Gantz agreeing that indeed they did reach their goals. They took out about 100 kilometers of the area there of the metro complex, which was their underground tunnel operation. But would you not say that uh, all of this bravado coming from Hamas and the Palestinians, uh, even there on the Temple Mount on Friday, This is trying to save face for these people who really were put back for a number of years as it relates to what their capabilities are. Well, Jimmy, that's not what the young Palestinians and Israeli Arabs feel. They do believe that this was a victory. Again, we had rockets exploding in most Israeli major cities and towns, even in Haifa. They understand that uh, the majority of their forces remain intact. Israel tried to target the senior Hamas leaders and only got one of them. So they see it as a genuine uh, victory. They, they believe that. And again, Jimmy, they have Iran backing them. They have Hezbollah, although they didn't enter this conflict, clearly backing them. And uh, so they feel that they're ready to go for another round. So we'll see. But uh, I think it's, uh, it's not as clear that this was a Hamas defeat as the Israeli senior leaders. And again, of course, politics are in all of this. There will probably be a fifth election. Uh, by the way, most Israelis were very glad to see the team of Netanyahu and Gantz uh, leading this thing because they both are uh, very tough and uh, military-minded. Uh, Gantz, a former chief of staff, so this may uh, increase their chances of gaining seats in any new elections. But Of course, Israel didn't start this. This wasn't a political play on their part. On the Palestinian side, yes, it was. You know, uh, Abbas canceled the Palestinian elections that Hamas, the poll showed, was going to win. Hamas feels they've come out of this politically a lot stronger than before as well. So that's the situation on the ground. David, I have to give this point of information to back up what you're saying Hamas spokesman made this statement, we will kill every Jew on earth. Now, that's really the bottom line as far as Hamas is concerned. Well, let me just conclude maybe our conversation with something real positive. During this time, Shavuot, the Feast of Pentecost, was taking place. And down near Jericho, the priest, the high priest, which is Barak Kuhana, led the services, they reenacted outside of Jericho the Feast of Pentecost activities. That's exciting. That's a plus as far as the Jews are concerned, is it not? 
Well, Jimmy, Am Israel High, the nation of Israel lives, and the holidays were celebrated, and it's a reminder of the Feast of Shavuot, or Pentecost, that Israel's an ancient people that are in their ancient holy land again. There are clashes in Jerusalem, but it's Israeli Jewish police that are the main force there. Uh, this is all because Jerusalem is again under their control, and uh, every year we see more and more reenactments of the ancient feasts, not just Shavuot, but others. And uh, yes, Israel is going to continue to exist. Iran says death to you. Hezbollah says death to you. Hamas says death to you. But God says life. And I believe that will be the final outcome of this whole thing. But we do have to be realistic. There's going to be more trouble ahead. Absolutely. And David and I have read the last chapter, so we know ultimately what will happen. David Dolan with his Middle East News Update, key for us who are students of Bible prophecy. David, thank you so much. We'll have another conversation next week. Thank you, Jimmy. God bless. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, Winky Madad standing by. We'll go in-depth about this ceasefire and the political situation because of the conflict. All ahead, right here on Prophecy Today. The book of Revelation is God's final word to man and the timeline of the last days revealed to the Christians. This symbolism-filled example of apocalyptic literature can be difficult to understand, especially when simply reading it from beginning to end. Dr. Jimmy DeYoung's latest book, Revelation, A Chronology, takes a walk through the prophetic book of Revelation in the order that the events will take place, chronologically, sharing insights into its true meaning and doing so in an easy-to-understand and practical way. If you have difficulty understanding the book of Revelation, get your copy of Revelation, A Chronology, and let Dr. Jimmy DeYoung aid you in your understanding of this profound end-times prophecy book that God has preserved in His Scriptures for Christians in the last days. To order your copy of Jimmy D. Young's Revelation, a chronology, call us toll free at 877-674-3298 or visit our website at prophecytoday.com. Welcome back to Prophecy Today. Jimmy D. Young here in Temporary Studios in Columbia, South Carolina. We're here to speak at the Capital City Baptist Church all day Sunday, a one-day prophecy conference. First service, 11 a.m., and then 5 o'clock, prophecy Q&A. 6 o'clock, we'll teach the prophetic Word of God. Paul Monroe, pastor, would invite everybody to come and join us for this one-day prophecy conference at the Capital City Baptist Church. Well, as promised, we're going to Winky Madad. He is in the center part of the state, a place called Shiloh. Long history, biblical history, dating back some 3,500 years ago when the Jews first came into the land. But they're in the land in the latter days right now, and a lot of conflict taking place. Winky, we've talked about the war that has broken out and intensified uh, between the Palestinians and the Israelis. Now, political leaders from all across the world are calling for Israel to de-escalate the activities there in the Gaza Strip and basically want them to go to a ceasefire. Why is there such interest, do you believe, 
in this ceasefire and de-escalation of the Israeli Air Force attacking Gaza at this point in time? Well, Jimmy, I would presume that most people do not want death and destruction on any side. I will give credit to a lot of people that whenever violence breaks out anywhere, they try to put an end to it. Of course, I would hope that I'm a quite red person. I know that this usually means everywhere in the world except in Israel. Uh, In Israel specifically, we seem not to be allowed to defend ourselves adequately, even when using the most precision bombing techniques, and anybody who has spent a little bit of time on television watching some of these buildings come down knows that there's very little collateral damage, and the strikes are on active Hamas or Islamic Jihad terrorists, as we can see from the cars or the auto bikes or the uh, rocket launch sites being hit. So it's kind of uh, depressing in the sense that uh, instead of working against Hamas when there's no violence, telling them to uh, disarm, telling them to stop their ideological propaganda, etc., that they ignore, and all of a sudden it blows up in our faces, and Israel seems to get the brunt of the criticism. I understand, Winky, that from the White House, President Biden, actually in a conversation with Prime Minister Netanyahu, demanded that de-escalation take place of the war there in the Gaza Strip and go to a ceasefire. Is that pretty much on target, what the president had to say? Well, I don't know exactly about the tone or the language. I wasn't privy to that conversation. On the other hand, I must point out that the United States gave Israel, to a certain extent, over a week uh, in which it was fairly quiet. The point is, though, that the United States should be promoting the security of those people under attack and not when we defend ourselves to stop our ability. We here in Israel, uh, due to, of course, to the media being broadcast over the websites and the Internet, we see all sorts of commentators from comedians to fairly serious people saying, oh, you're defending yourselves with an iron dome and you're basically 99% affected, you shouldn't be striking back at Hamas. Well, someone's got to stop Hamas. Someone's got to put an end to the missile firing. These comedians on television or other people, including Jimmy, representatives in the United States Congress, like Ilhan Omar and Rashida Taleb, for example, or even what we call AOC there in New York, asking for an end to Israel's being uh, armed by America, the arms sales, this is not doing anybody any help, because if Israel doesn't have precision bombs, we're going to be doing a lot more damage in Gaza. They're actually hurting the Gazans more than anybody else. Winky, I've been reading reports coming out of Israel, and it looks like to me the Israeli Defense Force is ready to shut down Hamas, and that's exactly what they want to do. They want to shut down that threat before they actually go to a ceasefire or pull away from any type of battle that's going on. Is that actually what's happening? Well, we do know that the IDF has been desperately trying to strike at some of the most senior commanders of the Hamas. That's no secret. On the other hand, 
anybody who's been following these events for the past 14 years or so, this is, I think this is the fourth time we've been in some sort of a campaign that we've had over, over the years. The army is always restricted by, a, by the political or the diplomatic restrictions. They can't march into Gaza for many reasons, and so we're always caught. This depends on the political level. Do we let Qatari money in all the time? Can we stop Iranians from training Hamas operatives and getting them back into Gaza as engineers and rocket experts? I think the war, or should I say the secret war against Hamas, has to be increased considerably to stop them from developing or reaching a stage where they have shot off about 4,000 rockets into Israel, including one near Jerusalem and several in the neighborhood of Tel Aviv. As I understand the Israeli Defense Forces' capability, they could actually go into the Gaza Strip and really get rid of the threat from Hamas if they had to. And is that a possibility? That's exactly what they're going to have to do before the threat is gone. I am confident that there are plans, as we say in, in the desk drawer, of marching into Gaza in three columns, splitting it up, and dealing with the situation. It would be very difficult, though, because uh, it's not a fighting field. It's not an, uh, a front. It would be inside the city. And it, it would be very difficult for Israel. Look, we see now that Israel has a very hard time in what we call the uh, information war of having people understand what's going on and support Israel. It's getting more difficult because they're more progressive, anti-Semitic forces at work, and we see that, if I can make just a comment on that, I'm sitting here in Shiloh and I'm watching Jews, not Israelis, Jews being hunted in the streets of Los Angeles, New York, London, and Florida, so that all these things combined make it very difficult. But if Hamas is intending... Uh, to fulfill its covenant to destroy the state of Israel, sooner or later a very large operation is going to be put into effect. And meanwhile, the complexion of the political arena is changing somewhat there in the state of Israel. Looks like Lapid and the liberal element of the body politic not going very well at forming a coalition government, uh, but the possibility is the right wing may come together with that coalition government. Give us a quick update. Well, uh, as we last reported, Naftali Bennett, who leads the party that Mr. Lapid thought he could pull over, declined in the end and said he is not going with this, what they call the change block that would change from Netanyahu. Lapid still has another two weeks, and here in Israel, uh, some of the political pundits are trying to say Netanyahu was extending the campaign in Gaza simply to avoid any coalition difficulties uh, that he might have uh, when Lapid eventually has to give up, which is really, really nefarious, if I could use that word here, in the face of the, uh, the Hamas threat. Uh, and we'll just have to wait. If the ceasefire comes in, if Netanyahu does not give up either on Jerusalem, whether the Temple Mount, or Sheikh Jarrah as part of that ceasefire, then he has a good chance of setting up a coalition afterwards. So Netanyahu, as you said, may be down, but he is not out, and he could possibly 
be the next prime minister of Israel as well. Is that what you're saying? Uh, I say that, and I'd probably bet on it, but we don't bet here on this program, Jimmy. We just try to provide our listeners with context, information, and facts. Yes, all I need, the facts, ma'am. That's all I need. But it is a very mysterious situation developing there in Israel. Everybody in the world wanting Israel to back off, de-escalate as it relates to dealing with the, the Hamas threat there in the Gaza Strip. That's why we brought Winky Madad to this broadcast table to help us to understand what is going on. Winky, as usual, excellent job. Appreciate it so much. We'll talk again, I'm sure, real soon. Jimmy, thank you very much for having me on again on the program, and goodbye to you and our listeners. Very important conversation with Winky Madad, giving us insight from the activities of many world leaders pressuring Israel to go to a ceasefire. Well, Israel did it on their own because they do believe they met all the goals they had set. Very important conversation with Winky, as well as our other broadcast partners today. We're going now to a different region of the world, to the European Union. John Rood lived in the area of Brussels, Belgium, for over a 30-year period of time. He knows the European Union. That's why we go to him especially in times like this, to stay abreast of what is basically taking place there. John, great to have you on board with us today. I understand all across Europe, mass protests against Israel happening, for example, in Berlin, Paris, and London, and other cities as well. Why this uptick in protest against Israel? Is it because of the battles going on there in the state of Israel itself? Yes, absolutely. There's, uh, of course, the conflict has come up to about two weeks. And as we know, much of the population of uh, Europe and the immigrant population has uh, very anti-Israel sentiment. And there have been a number of very large protests in London, up to 100,000 protesters. And other cities, as you've mentioned, protests in the thousands of people. But... Uh, True to form, the EU has, uh, has been splintered and divided, and even in the midst of this, this is sort of, a, this is quite exceptional, the Austrian and the Czech, Czech Republic presidential palaces are flying the Israeli flag to show solidarity with Israel. That's a very, very interesting development between those two particular countries. The Czech Republic, not so much so, but Austria, very interesting development. Has it been the Muslim element that has caused most of these protests or been the undergirding for them, John? I do certainly believe that. You know, what has started out as anti-Israel protest, it's really descended into a complete anti-Semitic protest in Europe. And so there's this crisis that has uh, spread from their influence, and so the Muslim approach has been to change the protests directly to all anti-Semitism in Europe. And uh, several of the magazines, particularly the German magazines, they pointed out that not only is there an open, open hatred of Jews in Israel, but these protests are also showing a hatred of open and free democracy. 
So in the guise of being anti-Israel as their statement, it's turned into complete anti-Semitism in Europe, which is now leading towards a, a hatred of open, free pro- protest against democracy. There's a progression. And speaking along that lines, I understand that Chancellor Merkel there in Germany is reporting 81% of the Jewish population in Germany have come under attack by the Muslims. Boy, that's a high number. Why so in Germany, I would wonder, John? Extremely high. And, you know, there's there's a general ignorance that, you know, the Koran has many anti-Jewish statements. Uh, even saying for Muslims to wage war against them. And 52%, so the majority of Germans, perceive uh, Islam as a threat. And the, the hundreds and hundreds of thousands of immigrants from the Muslim countries have brought uh, anti-Jewish sentiment with them. So Europe has their hands full to deal with this. And one bottom line that we must, we must mention is many people fail to understand that Israel cannot accept a threat to its existence without being able to defend itself. So many things are blamed on right-wing and so forth, but the underlining uh, factor, as you've mentioned, Jimmy, is the Muslim influence. I understand that the European Union is also with the, the idea of a ceasefire in Israel calling for Israel and the Palestinians to go back to the peace talks with the United States, and they even mentioned Russia. Would Russia be a player in these peace talks between the Israelis and Palestinians and in combination are teaming up with the United States, do you believe, John? Yes, we do see the prophetic nations are all lining up as normal. Uh, the EU wants to have influence in the in the Middle East, and they'll do that if they need to go with Russia, the United States, or uh, the United Nations. So they're continuing. Uh, the EU is struggling to have a leading role. Um, they usually take an opposing view to the United States, so the United States does not necessarily join them this, as a world partner. But uh, it's uh, incessant that the EU wants to do- have a dominant voice on the world stage. They just haven't figured out how to have uh, solidarity in their position because it's so fragmented. But uh, one day the European Union uh, influence will be centered and be unified, and then we will see them to be a much more formidable force in the Middle East. In the Middle East. And we do believe that we see that prophetically. Well, absolutely. I was going to say, that sounds very prophetic, your answer to me. There is that possibility that Daniel 7 could be fulfilled in the near future, the revival of the old Roman Empire. Would you not say that, according to all that's going on there now? Absolutely. Absolutely. It's just a matter of time. Uh, Everything has lined up. The trends are in place. But uh, everything the Bible says, it will all come to pass. And certainly, uh, the day is getting closer and closer. Indeed, getting closer and closer. And when you see the protests there in Europe against the state of Israel, the Jewish state, that is a very viable signal. John Rood, the man who covers the European Union for us. John, thank you so much. This is a key report each and every week. Appreciate you being able to be with us. 
We'll talk again next week. Thank you, Jimmy. Thank you for all, all that you do. Very important report coming from John Rood, his European Union update. This is one region of the world that we want to keep a very close watch on as it relates to the development of the revival of the Roman Empire, Daniel chapter 7, the EU being that infrastructure. Well, right now we go to Sam Rohr. Sam is the host of Stand in the Gap Today, both radio and television, a former state senator in the state of Pennsylvania, so he knows the political arena. And when there is something political, I try to go to Sam to get his insight. Talking earlier with Winky Madad, Sam, he was mentioning the squad there in the United States Congress and their attack on the Jewish state of Israel and promoting, of course, Hamas in the Gaza Strip. A lot of noise coming out of the United States Congress as it focuses on what's happening in Israel, the Israeli Hamas and Temple Mount conflict that's happening right now. What is all this noise from the Congress? Not good, is it, to hear the squad continually attacking the Jewish state? Jimmy, no, it is not a good thing. And, uh, and I think one of the observations that, uh, that I am making, and I know that other uh, supporters of Israel are making, is that this group, this, uh, the squad we would call them, is actually moving the Democrat majority in the House now, into a position that in the past was somewhat bipartisan in support of Israel, you're seeing some, I would say, radical movement of the entire uh, Democrat majority into a support of Hamas and opposed to Israel. There have been some significant moves by uh, one of the congressmen from New Jersey, uh, Chuck Schumer, even from uh, New York, who have softened their positions relative to, to Israel. And this is a very serious matter. I, I think there's been an attempt for a long time, at least I want to say I'll back up. There's been an advantage for a long time in that the supporters of Israel have been able to pull together uh, a coalition of both Democrats and Republicans. That, that cross-aisle uh, coalition has been very, very important. When it comes to Israel, the support of military equipment, for instance, to Israel, or funding, or those things that have been put at the United States on the side of Israel, that coalition has existed for a long time. But I think what you see right now is a, a breaking, a severing of that coalition, and with that, I believe, you are now going to be seeing an increasingly hostile position by the U.S. Congress, uh, and, of course, our president is clearly on the side of, of Hamas and the Palestinians anyways in Iran. I am fearful of a very significant policy shift from the standpoint of the United States Congress as it relates to Israel. And I, and I think that as we see the buildup of the escalation of attacks against Israel from Hamas and, and the Hezbollah and Lebanon side and, and, and beyond, I think what we are witnessing right now is perhaps an historic shift. Something is underway in the Middle East. This, I think this uh, uh, escalation is not backing off. I think the president's 
request or order or urging or whatever to Benjamin Netanyahu to de-escalate, and uh, Netanyahu's response to him that he appreciates the input, but he's going to go ahead and defend the people of Israel. This is being tied into right now potential for arms shipments to Israel. I don't know if they get the support out of Congress now for it, so I think we are in very eventful days. Sam, you know, I watch what's going on with the Biden administration as they send a team to negotiate with Iran to get rid of the sanctions there to put back in place that Iranian nuclear deal there in Vienna, Austria. But at the same time, at the White House, Joe Biden talking to, as you mentioned, Prime Minister Netanyahu, telling him to de-escalate there in the Gaza Strip and go to a ceasefire. That doesn't seem to he and haw together. What's going on there? Well, you know, again, I, I really believe, I mean, uh, I mean, it's a fact. We have a president now who is in league with China. We have a president who is now picking up and furthering the policies that were under the Obama administration. That means money is beginning to flow, already has, to the enemies of Israel. The opening up of the contracting arrangement with Iran means money will flow. It means that U.S. policy toward Israel will not be like it was the past four years. It means that it will be more supportive of the enemies of Israel. And it underscores why um, a Joe Biden can lean on uh, Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu and say de-escalate, which is a ridiculous statement when they are being assaulted by thousands of rockets from enemies all around, and then, I believe, also basically told them to get out of the Gaza. I mean, you cannot be telling Israel to move away from God's boundaries, to sit back and uh, allow themselves to be pounded by the enemies of Israel, who are God's people. Um, We are in dangerous territory, uh, Jimmy, when we see American policy shifting so dramatically in support of the enemies of Israel. I mean, this is on the wrong side. I mean, we know. I want to be on God's side. As a nation, we generally have been, and therefore there's been some blessings that have gone that way. But if we shift, if we shift in, a, in an official way, and, I, and, and, we're, we, and we are doing that, I believe, according to what God has told in, in Palm Genesis 12, 3 and beyond, we can expect, if this continues, we can expect on our nation the judgment of God. This is, this is no small matter. This is a, a big, big, big matter here. Yes, it is a very big matter. It's been proven there in Israel, Sam, that uh, the sophisticated rockets and missiles being fired by Hamas out of the Gaza Strip into Israel as far north as Tel Aviv and even Jerusalem, that they come from Iran. There's being supplied by Iran. And you give money to Iran, they're going to have more money to pay for those missiles to pay for Hamas to try to wipe out the Jewish state of Israel. But at the same time, Israel is being threatened by the fact they may not get the foreign aid that they normally get on a yearly basis, which, by the way, that foreign aid is used to buy weapons from manufacturers in the United States. So it's basically money sent from the taxpayers to Washington, to Israel, and then back to businesses in America. 
I mean, this doesn't sound right either, does it? Well, no, it does not. And here again, just like as we say when we're together, Jimmy, on Staying on the Gap today, if we do not look at um, headline news, policies, we're talking policies now, governmental policies, world leader policies, if, you don't, if we do not approach them, if our leaders in the United States do not approach the nation of Israel, which God is, has, has put his hand upon and has told us what is going to unfold there, if we do not, if they do not consider God's will and what God has said we should be concerned about, we directly fly into the face of the wrath of God, and, uh, and they also then jeopardize, I want to call it the nation of God, the city of uh, uh, Jerusalem and the people of God in Israel. We are directly tangling with God himself and his sovereign plan when the policies that are put in place give no respect to the God of heaven. This is, this is why this is serious. It is a very dangerous place for America to be in at this time. Sam, so important to get the political understanding of what's happening here in the United States, especially with the closest ally that the U.S. has in the Middle East, the state of Israel, and how they are waffling on their support of this state, even for them to be able to defend themselves. I so appreciate you giving us a moment, Sam. I know you have a busy day. Thank you for breaking away to give us some insight. Appreciate it, and I'm sure we'll have another conversation down the road. Thank you, Jimmy. God bless you. Going to take a quick break. When we come back, we have one more broadcast partner, David James. He's on the other side of the top of the hour. Keep the dial right where it is here on Prophecy Today. Hi, everybody. Jimmy DeYoung, and welcome back to Prophecy Today. We move into our last half hour. I'm so glad you could stay with us thus far. Give us this half hour, and you'll give me the 90 minutes I request each week to give you my broadcast partners with their reports from across the world. These are reports that mainstream media will not be giving you today. In a moment, David James will join us at the broadcast table. He's our last broadcast partner. But before that, let me give you the poll question. It's on the home page. If you go there and on the left-hand column scroll down, you'll see poll question. Here's the question for this week. An Iranian general says that Iran has a religious duty to act against Israel and to annihilate every Jew. Do you believe that Iran's motivation is based upon Iran's wrong eschatology? That's the poll question. Be sure to answer it if you will. want to remind you we're in Columbia, South Carolina, be it the capital city Baptist Church, on a one-day prophecy conference on Sunday, 11 a.m., 5 and 6 in the evening, that's the Capital City Baptist Church, Columbia, South Carolina. We now bring to this microphone David James. David and I have a weekly conversation. 
we focus on an issue that we have chosen to discuss from a biblical perspective. We do this because each and every one of us have a walk with the Lord Jesus Christ, and it must be based upon biblical principles. We have a very interesting discussion this time. We're going to be talking about the roles of men and women in ministry. You do not want to miss this conversation. But we're going to begin like we always do when David and I get together with an email from one of our listeners. Now, of all the emails we've received over the years, this is more odd than most And I can't tell for sure, David, if it comes from an atheist who is mocking Christianity in general or a believer who's just mocking our premillennial understanding of the end-time scenario. What are your thoughts? Well, Jimmy, I'm going to treat it as a legitimate question and answer it in a serious way because, you know, I love to have fun and joke, but when it comes to things like this, I I don't mock others when it comes to spiritual matters because uh, eternity is at stake. So our listener wrote this, listening to you talk about the pre-trib rapture is great. I can have sex, drugs, and rock and roll until I see millions disappear. Then I can do the same for six and a half more years. And the last six months of the Great Tribulation, then I'll repent. Thanks. Well, Jimmy, one presumption is that he thinks he can live a life of sin today and have nothing to worry about. And when millions disappear, that won't affect him personally either. But the fact is, he could die at any moment. There are no guarantees. Or the Lord could strike him down long before the rapture takes place. And if he's not a believer... His spirit will go to a fiery hell awaiting the final judgment, and his sinful lifestyle could end today. And also, he might not survive the aftermath of the rapture itself. There will be planes and trains and cars that will crash, the electric grid and gasoline supplies will collapse, neighbors will start to turn against neighbors and nations against nations, and there will be world war and famine and death, and that's before the judgments of God in nature, where global temperatures will rise and plants will die and water will become undrinkable and the Earth's entire ecosystem will collapse. So you might mock God now, but if he survives very long, he may directly face the demands of the Antichrist to either worship him as God or be put to death, and by that time, He could be so angry at the Lord that he refuses to repent. So this is very serious stuff. It's not some theoretical game of chicken to see who will blink first. Today is the day of salvation. Today is the day of salvation. I love that phrase from God's Word. So I hope and pray that our listener was able to hear your response, David. Very good response. One of the stories that we've been following since it came out last week is about three women being ordained as pastors in Rick Warren's Saddleback Church just south of Los Angeles. And it's been causing quite a stir, David. Talk to us about it. Well, last week, the Washington Post ran an article with a headline, Saddleback Church just ordained three women as pastors. The Southern Baptist Convention says only men should be. And let me read just a few opening lines from that article, because I think it does a good job of setting the stage for the discussion. The article says, Saddleback Church, one of the largest churches in the Southern Baptist Convention and home to influential pastor Rick Warren, 
ordained three women as staff pastors this past weekend, a move that critics say violates the denomination statement of faith. And then the article went on to say, yesterday was a historic night for Saddleback Church in many ways. The Southern California Megachurch's Facebook page announced on Saturday, we had ordained our first three women pastors, Liz Puffer, Cynthia Petty, and Katie Edwards. And then finally, the article said, the three newly ordained pastors are longtime Saddleback staff members. Petty has worked with children's ministry, and Edwards has been in youth ministry, while Puffer's LinkedIn profile lists her as a minister at Saddleback. And the same article included a response from Al Moeller, who's the president of Southern Baptist Seminary in Louisville, Kentucky, and Moeller's comment was this, Calling them or any women a pastor is at best unwise and confusing, He then added that a ban on female pastors was added to the Baptist faith and message, the SBC's doctrinal statement in 2000, stating that the office of pastor is limited to men as qualified by Scripture. David, I'm sure most of our listeners are familiar with Rick Warren and his ministry to at least some degree. But maybe it would be helpful for you to provide some background on Warren and the ministry there at Saddleback and what brought them to this point in their philosophy of ministry. Well, Jimmy, one of the many reasons this is causing such a stir, I think, is because of the outsized influence that Rick Warren and Saddleback has had over the past several decades. Saddleback is the largest church in California with an average weekly attendance of over 23,000 people across 15 different campuses, and it's one of the largest megachurches in the Southern Baptist Convention, the second only behind a uh, church in Houston, I believe. And so this action places the church in direct conflict with the stated doctrines of the Southern Baptist Convention. And Rick Warren has had a tremendous impact on the landscape of Christianity in the United States uh, since he and his wife began the church as a Bible study in their condo back in 1980, and they had their first worship service in a gymnasium on Easter Sunday of that year. And then ultimately, one of their approaches to starting the church was to survey their community and find out what it was that kept people from wanting to go to church. And then in response to that survey, they opened their main building in Lake Forest in 1995 with an auditorium that had a capacity of 3,500 people. And since then, Rick Warren has become a national and even international celebrity pastor and author with his uh, Purpose Driven Church book, which was published in 1995, and then the Purpose Driven Life in 2002, over 50 million copies have been sold in all formats and translated into over 70 languages. So, Jimmy, when you have someone of his stature and success, that means he has a lot of power and influence on the theology and practice of other pastors and other ministry leaders, and especially on the average person in the pew. And one question that comes up is, how do you argue against that kind of success without coming across as jealous? David, what has been the overall reaction among pastors across the Southern Baptist Convention? And what do you think? Is this the direction that the denomination is heading? Or are the majority of the convention holding the line? Well, as is true as a, concerning a number of issues in uh, the Southern Baptist Convention, whether it be the charismatic issue or Calvinism issue, this is uh, another big divisive issue that I do think 
may threaten to split the convention, but it has a history of hanging together. Uh, but there has been more of a strong reaction than I think would have been anticipated. J.D. Greer, who's a graduate of Word of Life and president of the Southern Baptist Convention right now, wrote on his blog that he long respected Saddleback's ministry impact and heart for getting the gospel to the nations, but that he disagrees with their decision, calling it disappointing. James Merritt, who's the pastor of Cross Point Church in Duluth, Georgia, and was SBC president from 2000 to 2002, tweeted this, I affirm both that God calls all men and women to vital ministry in the life of the the local church, as well as God's clear word on a man only being a pastor, elder, overseer, and which is grounded in creation. These truths are not contradictory. They are indeed complementary. And then Jack Graham pastors the very large Prestonwood Baptist Church in Plano, Texas. And, Jimmy, that's a church that's heavily connected with a ministry in Romania that both of our ministries are connected with. And Graham had this to say, I strongly oppose the ordination of women pastors as clearly taught in the Scriptures and practice New Testament churches. It's a big deal, I assure you, and a growing problem in the SBC. And then Jason Allen, who's the president of Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary, reacted this way. This is a disappointing departure from the clear teaching of Scripture, the BF&M, and long-held SBC consensus and practice. 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1 list qualifications, not suggestions. Let's hold fast to Scripture. And you know, Jimmy, the issue of women serving as pastors played a significant role in the conservative resurgence in the Southern Baptist Convention in the 1980s when the entire denomination was just about lost to liberalism. David, it seems to me this is going to be the growing issue as time goes by. Remind us, what are some of the main arguments used to say that women should be pastors and elders And then how would you respond to them in general? Well, first of all, Jimmy, this isn't about women being inherently inferior to men or less qualified or less gifted in any way. In fact, I know women who are better preachers and with better leadership and people skills and who are smarter and know the Bible better than many men I've heard from pulpits or or who lead megachurches or reach millions by TV each week. But that's not the point. One argument for women as pastors and leaders is often the example of strong women leaders in the Old Testament. According to Jewish tradition, there were seven prophetesses, and of course God raised up Deborah as a judge. However, there were gender-specific roles in the Old Testament. Prophets, priests, kings, and judges were intended by God to be primarily gender-specific, with only a few exceptions, not as a general order of business. So they were exceptions, not rules. Another argument is that women were the first to be eyewitnesses of the resurrection and were foundational to spreading the gospel message, and yet it was Peter and John who assembled the disciples in Galilee to meet the resurrected Jesus. And much is made of the many women whom Paul mentions in his letters, and they did have significant roles, specifically Priscilla's role, along with Aquila in discipling Apollos. Uh, And yet that doesn't place her in a public role of teaching and having leadership in the local church. And another argument is that there's no male or female in Christ, but that's about salvation, not service. And then finally, in 2 Timothy 2, the context is about raising up spiritual leadership to combat false teachers in the church, 
And so Paul goes back to the order of creation and the nature of the fall as the historical and theological basis for his instruction for women to not teach or exercise authority over men. And this transcends both history and culture. David, very, very important statements that you've made there in this last answer to the questions that I had for you today. Very important conversation, I do believe, as we focus on the role that a man and or a woman can have in ministry, according to the Word of God. I'm positive that we're going to receive some emails from this, so we'll be ready and maybe respond to them when we get together next week. David James, thank you so very much for doing the research and helping us to understand the problem and giving us some great insight. We'll do something similar next week. As always, my pleasure, Jimmy. Going to have to take a quick break when I come back. I'll look at the reports from my broadcast partners. We'll open the Bible. I'll take a look at the book. It's all ahead right here on Prophecy Today. Every believer needs to understand Bible prophecy. Whether you're a novice or a student, we are here to help you. Just visit prophecytoday.com and click on the link for the Prophecy Bookstore. There you will find a large selection of CD sets, DVDs, and books for the Bible prophecy student written by Dr. Jimmy DeYoung and other prominent scholars. While you're there, be sure to check out Dr. DeYoung's latest series called Presidents, Politics, and Prophecy. This series examines how God has used human leaders in general and specifically the last seven U.S. presidents to set the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. This was shot on location in Washington, D.C. and is available on DVD or as a 10-hour audio series on CD. Be sure to check back often for special deals. You can visit prophecytoday.com and click on Bookstore or you can go directly to prophecybookstore.com. Hey everyone, this is Dave James with the Alliance for Biblical Integrity. You hear me each week discussing current theological issues with Jimmy DeYoung on the Prophecy Today weekend broadcast. We founded the Alliance for Biblical Integrity because we saw a need for an apologetics and discernment ministry that would be an important resource for local churches, schools, and ministry organizations that face ever-changing theological challenges in today's world. I teach many different courses and seminars in the United States and around the world and can tailor the seminars for Sunday schools, Bible studies, and church services, and the courses for weekend conferences of 6 to 10 hours. For more information, you can go to the ABI website at biblicalintegrity.org. That's one word, biblicalintegrity.org, and click on Courses and Seminars on the main menu. You can also contact me personally through the contact page on the ABI website. I look forward to hearing from you. It's time right now here on Prophecy Today for us to take a look at the book. Today on PTW, my broadcast partners came to the broadcast table to give us the latest information on the events happening around the world, current events that may well be setting the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. 
You can go to mainstream media today and not hear the detailed reports like you hear from my broadcast partners. These men are, first of all, truth tellers, and they have all the details behind the stories that they cover. Needed information that you and I both must have in order to understand what's happening in this world today. I want to give you my prophetic perspective on these reports. I'll do that in a moment. But first, let me remind you that if you had to miss any of these reports, you can go to my website, prophecytoday.com, then to PTRN, Prophecy Today Radio Network. That's on the home page, right-hand column as you scroll down. There you will find all reports from my broadcast partners. They've been archived, and they are there for you to listen to at your convenience. Please be sure to tell a family member or a friend because they need to hear these reports as well. But now, if you will allow me, let me take a moment and I will give you my prophetic perspective on these reports from my broadcast partners. Ken Timmerman, he covers the geopolitical events happening in our world, and Ken talked to us about Iran's support for Hamas and their supply of the missiles that Hamas was using to attack the Jewish state. As mentioned before, Iran is a major player in the last days. You can go to Ezekiel chapter 38 and verse 5, where you find the name Persia. That's modern-day Iran. And then in Daniel chapter 11 and verse 44, here's the phrase used by the prophet Daniel, tidings out of the east. And of course, Iran east of the city of Jerusalem, which is the center of the world. You know, an alignment of nations will happen in the first six months of the tribulation period. They will endeavor to try to wipe Israel off the face of the earth as if they had never been. And, of course, they want to forget their name forever. We are at that point in time, that prophecy near to fulfillment. David Dolan gave us his Middle East News update an update on the ceasefire between Israel and Hamas. David reported that both sides are ready to go back to war, and David, a longtime journalist in the Middle East with over 30 years' experience, does not believe that this ceasefire will last very long. That's based upon past history. Obadiah agrees with David, and that ancient prophet said this conflict will continue off and on until the second coming, not the rapture, but the second coming of Jesus Christ. At that point in time, the Palestinians will be wiped out as if they had never been. That's Obadiah, verses 17 and 18. Winky Madad gives us in-depth information when I have a conversation with him He talked about how world leaders, including President Biden, had called for a ceasefire, putting the pressure on the Jewish state of Israel. 
you know, Hamas started these attacks. Israel was simply responding so that they could defend themselves and the Israelis. In the last days, the world, as we understand from Scripture, will turn against the Jewish people. In fact, Zechariah chapter 13 and verse 8 says that at that time during the tribulation, two out of every three Jews will be killed. That will come about from satanic attack as well as those people on the earth that will not be able to exist with the Jewish people. John Rood covers the European Union for us. There have been major protests all across Europe in the major cities and in small towns as well. This is another sign of anti-Semitism and anti-Israel. You know, most of these protests have been undergirded by the Muslim immigrants who have traveled out of the Middle East, the Far East, into the continent of Europe. This is going to continue as Muslims spread across the world with a desire to set up a worldwide caliphate, a worldwide Muslim kingdom. Sam Rohr always joins us at the broadcast table to talk about political activities here in America, and he brought to our attention the United States Congress is becoming very anti-Israel and pro-Palestinians. At least the outspoken members of Congress are advancing that cause, and there's also a push to stop foreign aid to Israel. Even in America, that same dislike for the Jewish state of Israel. It's been that way for thousands of years. Let me remind you that God has a plan for the Jewish people. It's given in the covenants that God gave, the Abrahamic covenant, the land covenant, the Davidic covenant, and the new covenant. David James and I had our weekly conversation And David reported on some so-called Christians that are involved in replacement theology. They want to destroy the Jewish state as well. Replacement theology is satanic. God did not replace the Jews with the church. In fact, he has a plan for both the Jews and the Christians. That plan God has for the Christians is the rapture of the church which is the next event on God's calendar of activities, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 to 18. And let me remind you that that rapture can happen at any moment, even today. And having said that, nothing left for me to say, except let's keep looking up until... Thank you so much for joining us today. This is Jay Johnson inviting you to join us again next week for more of Prophecy Today. Prophecy Today is a listener-supported production of Shofar Communications in Chattanooga, Tennessee.